Hello, welcome to another episode of QBT. I'm Maddie Germs. <laughs> I'm Shawnee. And we're Duke, we're babes, talking about mental health, <laughs> pop culture, whatever the hell else we want. And I, <laughs> my brain is, <laughs> let's get going. <laughs> Hi, honey. Welcome back. Another week. Thanks. Um, <laughs> my my <laughs> no. question for you today is, um, what did you do this weekend? Um, I went to the coast. Lovely. And I stayed in a really big wood cabin that was essentially like a lodge. Um, it was cute. We were celebrating my friend, well, a friend of the podcast's birthday, mm-hmm. Bria. Hey, Bria. Hey, babe. <laughs> well, your actual birthday is in like two weeks, but... We get it out of the way. Yeah. She's the end of a Scorpio baby. Yeah. Right? She's at the end yeah, of the season. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All these Scorpios in my life, I just... You're welcome. I can't. You're welcome. Um, Y'all ate like fucking good ass shit, right? We Did had a... Have, se- like, a yeah, we had a seafood broil. Boil? Broil? Yeah. Broil? Broil. You don't broil it. Yeah, boil. Uh-huh. Yeah, and like the, the table got taped down. It Saran was like wrapped legit. the table. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like full Louisiana in the house. Yeah. Shrimp, crab, potatoes, corn, corn. old bay. Love. Mm. That sounds really delicious. It was. It actually was. Um, yeah, and the, the coast was gorgeous. I mean, I haven't been to the coast since last year, last Christmas mm-hmm. with you. Yes. Um, yeah. Who knew that that was going to be like... It. Yeah, really, <laughs> really. That was um, the last trip I ever took. Yeah. Um, what'd you do this weekend? Um, Friday night, I mostly just was kind of like still feeling deeply anxious from the week because we still didn't have like an official mm-hmm. answer. It was like we know, but we don't know. Mm-hmm. And then I think I just oh. Um, Spencer just bought um, Pikmin 3 on the Switch, which is like an Pikmin is like an old like GameCube, mm-hmm. uh, Wii U, you know, the consoles. I held it back. I had a burp and I held it back. Shawnee is so proud of me. I'm um, very proud. My burp last episode was. <laughs> I listened back to it and scared myself. Um, okay. Um, but uh, it's Pikmin 3, and you're like a little alien, and you're landing on this planet and then all, there's all these like little plant guys and you're just walking around and it's colorful and it was like really soothing and really wonderful and so that's what I did Friday night and then Saturday I had um, some homework shit to do and so mm. while we found out about Biden in the morning they like officially called it at like 8 or something um, I delayed my full let's go party mode until after this like a little work meeting I had and then so like from 2.30 onward it was like you know I'm just gonna be wilding out until how responsible of you I mean it's literally like grad school like I can't do anything else you know what I mean yeah Uh, I also decided that I think I'm gonna buy a PlayStation 5 the new one yeah work that sounds awesome because I haven't played video games since I was like 12. That mm-hmm. sounds like an accurate age. Yeah. Yeah. 
I don't like to it. I don't consider myself a gamer by any means, and I like playing video games, but I don't like hard games. Like, I don't want to play a game that stresses me out. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm the whole reason I'm here is because the world is stressful. I'm here to have a good time. Yeah. Like, I'm here to I see some pretty like colors, first... escape a little bit. Yeah. I want a little bit of a challenge. I don't want to just, like, be, like, moving from one side of the screen to the other. But, like, if I have to try and beat a bus, like... It, try and beat a bus. Try and beat a boss, like, f- more than five times. I'm never going to play that game again. I'm just like, it's not it's not worth it. It's yeah. not what I'm doing. Like, I don't do first-person shooters. It's not a thing for me. Because the it's just anxiety. disorienting. I always am like, <laughs> I'm always the person, like, that's in the middle somewhere, just, like, trying to find my feet. <laughs> like, yeah. I'm, like, looking all around. <laughs> like, why can't I see me? What do I look like? I, I don't understand no the mechanics. No, I like RPGs and, like, Final Fantasy shit. Love. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that that's a beautiful journey for you. Okay. <laughs> Four. And what about it? Let's just, you know. Let's dive Let's right dive in. In. Fucking fuck Donald Trump. You about to lose your job. Yes. Yeah. Fully. I think I'm having even kind of like a loss of words. And in some ways, like it, it is, doesn't it feel foreign? Um, I will say yes. Okay, so like last night in this cabin, we we turned we turned on CNN once to just watch the um speeches, the speeches, mm-hmm. and I was sitting there like, this feels normal, and that mm. is a nice feeling. Yeah, not it was like for this for these like for this however long the speeches are on for like an hour. I was like, for this hour, everything feels normal. Like, Mm. the world is back, like, where it was before the pandemic, before Trump was in office. I was like, ah, all is right. I know it's not, but, like, I let myself just, like, believe that for an hour. And it was was really nice. Yeah. But now I'm sort of back to, like, I don't... I agree. I'm like, I don't, I don't think I know how I feel. Like, I'm happy, but also right. I'm like, ooh, there's still a lot of other shit going on. Yeah, <laughs> and we're all so suspicious. Like, I was talking with someone last night, and I was like, it weirds me out that, like, in some ways, we knew the results of this, like, Wednesday morning, pretty much. Like, it was like, oh, this is wild, but it looks like this thing might happen. Yeah. But we are so distrustful of everything that we're like, we'll wait seven days to, <laughs> or like Wednesday to Saturday whatever the fuck like, well, I feel like I'm still sort of waiting like we'll I see know, I know. Jan- we'll, I'll celebrate in January yes <laughs> yes and that's I mean it's like I don't want to feel that I want to just kind of be like yeah we did it very cautious to some extent but yes very cautious um I made a clear distinction in my mind I was having a trouble getting into the celebratory mood a little bit because I found out and then like on my phone they called it and i was like whoa crazy if true and then i started crying a little bit and it was like not because i like joe biden <laughs> like, <laughs> the, like i i n- never shall i shed a tear for joe biden you know what i mean but i re was just like oh my god this weight of mm-hmm. trauma fear of yeah. like waking up every day to some new hell like it's not over but at least 
the what is the hell is probably going to be diminished a little bit and there's like yeah also some public shaming for that person for donald trump yeah and so i feel like for me i was like i shed the tear because i was like i am about to take such joy in dancing on this person's grave <laughs> you know like like i am about to feel joy yes at someone else's demise and i think maybe that's not good for my spirit but like <laughs> fuck him like, yeah no fuck i think him so much it's it's good for everybody's spirit yeah i feel like um i agree I'm not excited about Joe Biden per se. I'm excited for what I am hoping and praying is somewhat of a return to normalcy. Yeah. You know, at this point, I'll take whatever the fuck I can get. And yeah. at, that means we're still dealing with a pandemic, but there's somebody with some sense in yeah. charge or somebody with some sense assisting the person in charge. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There we go. Yeah. Um, I can like rest a little bit more easy at night. Yeah. I mean, and so much of this is focused on trump's defeat and the, as much as i find frustration in putting a prosecutor in office like kamala being up there and offering that speech like it felt surreal like oh my god i was like i'm being sort of moved by this democratic po propaganda machine or whatever and you know even if it's just a symbol having the symbol of someone that looks like her and has her story and like when she mentioned her mom it just is like maybe that's what some of the suspicious part is it's just like it, i don't know i feel broken like i feel like i can't i had fun yesterday enjoying it but like sober me today is kind of like what's about to happen <laughs> like i just well, don't yeah. i can't figure it out i can't figure it out I don't yeah know i mean and that's the other thing too is that it's like it's one of those things where i feel like it's like a weekend Mm -hmm. Like, I don't know what's going to happen. Well, we're recording this on a Sunday. Mm -hmm. But, like, what's going to happen tomorrow when, like, for real, everybody's, like, back at work sure. and, like, government is up and running sure. and, like, you know, the machine starts running again. Yeah. Um, but I don't know. I feel like I'm letting myself marinate in the fact that Donald Trump, I don't have to. We just won't. He have lost. To, he lost. Bigly. <laughs> Bigly. And so, so huge. And he won't. He won't be on Twitter anymore because he can't be talking like that I when he's know. not the president anymore. I know. Uh, honestly, <laughs> my favorite part about this whole thing was how Twitter kind of broke the election yeah. first on like Thursday when it got leaked that they were going to revoke his privileges. It's yeah. like, oh, does Twitter know he lost? <laughs> like, and Jack did, I guess, for some yeah. reason. Um, they said like CNN called it, the Twitter thing happened. And they said AP called it, and I was like, all right, if I can hear from, like, one more credible source, mm -hmm. then, like, I'll let myself Well, as soon as CNN called this. it, it was like, bam, 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 bam. Yeah. Because yeah. we, we had, like, we were waiting out for Nevada. I mean, what happened in Georgia is so cool. Mm -hmm. What Stacey Abrams and those folks working there, and also, like, the Latinx women that were in Nevada, like, and Arizona, like... That's amazing. It's sad that they had to do that much work for fucking Joe Biden. <laughs> like, that is... Yeah. What a... A waste is not the right word. But, like, that outpouring of energy, like, that... Like, it, it could I be mean, so powerful. You know what I mean? And, it, and I so, find it insane even that, like... This is monumental in terms of, like, the number of people that came out to vote. Incredible numbers. Like, so... It's the most ever, like, in the... Yep. In modern history, I yep. guess. And, like... 
that's insane because it's like okay we have to like keep this momentum going every single time yep and i mean you know this runoff election is really important too in georgia like and and it it greatly shapes like what damage can be blocked you know and so hopefully there's still i think it's always a little scary because like when you have more to lose so like if your president loses then you there's sometimes a little bit more like of a gumption to vote why we went out and you know yeah, supported. yeah so yeah, yeah. i mean it's the same thing and i don't know i just am hoping that we see those wins there i think i think continuing also down this path of progressivism and putting women of color in the front like that's where the country wants to go that's who's voting mm-hmm. that's who's consistently voting mm-hmm. like I need the Democratic Party to, like, get it the fuck together. Like, I need them to... If you actually want to do all the healing that you're talking about, like, that takes continuing to move left. Like, that is what that takes. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. Because we have to take care of our folks first, you know? Like, reaching across the aisle doesn't do shit if your voting base is still unemployed after a year in the pandemic. You know what I mean? Yeah, and that's that is also part of I it's what's going to make the next few weeks, months and honestly years like interesting because this election, I mean the last 4 years, yes, we're shining a light on America's underbelly and XYZ. Nothing that was surprising to me because it's always been there, but yeah. like whatever, it was mainstream now. This is America. Yeah. Um <clears throat> but with this election and now being able to visually break it down like with facts and figures and numbers and statistics and like percentages like we were joking that like oh yeah like i know where every republican is at now i see Mm -hmm. all the red like by county like across the entire united states and it's like there is very obviously a divide in this country this election doesn't fix all of that Mm -hmm. and like the pendulum just keeps swing like it's gonna continue to keep swinging right like Yes, it's like blue is blue one, Democrats won, Republicans are gonna be pissed now, mm-hmm. you're gonna have middle America losing their shit. Mm-hmm. They're gonna feel the next four years how we felt these last four years. Um and I don't know, it's just it's gonna be interesting trying to heal that because it's not as easy as a bunch of words I think we've learned. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think if we had really wanted healing in this country, Marianne Williamson could have led us on that journey. You know, she could have. Mm. She could have uh, really... I mean, joking aside, she truly was the only one who was like, literally, y'all, this place is dark-sided. We have some spiritual work to do. And everyone was like, get your crystals off the stage. <laughs> but she was kind of the only one that has consistently been spitting facts. But... um I think the, f- I mean, I don't, I don't want to reach across an aisle at all. By no. the way, like I have no desire to hold anybody's no. hand no. on that side over there. No, I y'all had that opportunity and chance. There are literal like <laughs> QAnon people in Congress now. Like multiple, multiple QAnon people are in office right now. Like that, that is that is wild. Um, but oh, something beautiful that reminded me of Georgia and these other places is that like the South is not inherently like red yeah what it is is heavily voter suppressed Mm -hmm. and like if we had had some of the work and it was 
I fucking hate those. I think I told you about this the other day. I hate that fucking map that goes around. It's like, uh oh, look at the most educated places and like oh, what's yeah. red and what's blue. Yeah. Very similar map that you can use as a comparison, which is how easy is it to vote in your state? The harder it is to vote, that's where it goes red, red. more often. And so I just think that we <clears throat> learned some cool things there and hopefully we can continue that voter turnout to be able to put more people in office that actually are going to do shit instead of make us feel normal, which normal is going to be like, I don't know, continuing to, to bomb other countries. But like here we're like not outwardly racist anymore or something. It's like, okay, at least like, at least I can breathe that. I don't know like what's going to happen. Just, you know what I mean? There's been this thing going around on Instagram. That's just like, dang, I miss like the good old like kind of racism. I like want to go back to that, and I'm just like, yeah, me too. I'm tired oh my of this. God. Like, y'all are y'all are really emboldened oh. these days. Yeah, I mean, uh, I think it was Don Lemon. Maybe was on one of the news things. Uh, Don Lemon looked rough when I saw him on TV yesterday, and I thought, well, they've okay, been staying so up for like nine been, days yeah, in a row. Like you've been up for oh, I can tell you've been up for yeah. an entire week, and you've been stressed. Yeah, I was like, okay, honey. I mean, I I just I. I appreciate some of these folks offering, like, as journalists, you know, them receiving, like, the worst kind of shit on the street than they ever have. And obviously, like, these journalists are still employed and, like, all these other things. But um, I don't know. I, I think it's, it is okay and it is beyond fine to take some respite in what it feels like to not, like, wake up and roll over to your phone to see like whose rights were taken away today like yeah. that is going to be that sigh of a relief hopefully will be good and also It'll be nice to also not like be as embarrassed whenever it's safe to go to like another country mm. Also, it'll just be nice not like having like literally having to listen to an to an idiot just like talk like you can't avoid it even if you wanted to I feel like when, like, Trump first took office, I was, like, for the first couple of months, like, oh, I can avoid, like, just hearing not him. hearing him or seeing anything. Yeah. And then at some point you realize, like, oh, this is the president. Like, it's going to, yeah. it's going to be everywhere. I mean, it literally got to the point where I was so good at avoiding it that when I would hear him talk, I would always, like, wince. Because, like, yeah. even when I saw stuff of his, I would always just, like, play it silently and, like, read the captions versus hearing his voice like yeah. his voice hurts my spirit but do you know what really bolsters my spirit is the trump team mistakenly booking <laughs> four seasons total landscaping instead of the four seasons looking like a fucking i thought that was a joke and then no it was real as fuck like real. a fully <laughs> that is an entire episode of veep and it like also if you pitched it someone would be like that is too crazy. Like that, yeah, that's that would dumb. never happen. <laughs> that would never happen. But just imagine the staffer <laughs> that like after everything's get ready, she's like, okay, so like I might have messed this up. <laughs> like, <laughs> oh my god. All I think of is that um when Beyonce's lights didn't come on or something and she was like, Somebody's, Somebody's getting, getting fired. fired. <laughs> <laughs> I would be pissed. Well, lots like, of people are getting well, fired on that. Yeah. yeah, like a whole a whole administration think. God. Uh, also, yay to Yasmin. Yeah. Hey, girl. Um, from <laughs> episode 19, yeah. she won. She's, She's the first black uh, city councilwoman of Culver, Culver City. City. 
We yeah, love that. Yeah, yeah. I know. It's, Celebrations. It's so crazy. Like, her being on the podcast a few months ago, I know that, like, I've, no, I've known about your campaign. You've been grinding, girl, for, like, since 2019. Yeah. So, it's just, it's crazy to see what it was like when you started, when she started her campaign pre the world sort of changing yep. and then through all of the selection season and um to see hard work pay off to, to see, see our politician that's like has a deep desire to take care of like everyone in her community yeah. you know like she just seeing that the next morning when there was so much stress throughout the week of like oh, what's gonna happen am I gonna yeah. chew my fingernails off yeah. who knows like seeing that was like ah yes we got like our first um trans person in government like yeah. out trans person in national government dc um lots of other cool wins in that way but it was just like i don't know it was seeing her joy made me feel good it made me happy when i went to bed on tuesday night with at least one thing that i was like okay i'm pretty sure this is happening yeah which is a win so i don't know it's been this election has not been terrible no Definitely not the not the nightmare I thought it was gonna be. I also like just avoided most things like this past week. I was like Good. tuned in on Tuesday, just like keeping track of things. Went to bed Tuesday night, like I don't know how this is gonna go. Yeah. And then Wednesday, I was sort of like, mm, let's just not. And yeah. then Thursday, I was like, let's also just not. And then Friday, I was like, I'll like take a peek and see. Mm-hmm. And then I was like, oh, we still don't know. Okay, cool. That's a lot of restraint, and that's great. I didn't watch any, like, news, which felt good. I was, like, just reading it. and But, like, on Wednesday, I knew... I did follow up from our episode last week in terms of self-care. I did skip school, which was awesome. And what I did instead, though, to avoid being on my phone all day was go to the dentist and the chiropractor. I was like, literally the only way I'm not going to be on my phone is if someone is drilling into my, in my mouth. mouth. <laughs> like, People just... Yes. Fucking my body. Yeah, yeah let's go. Um... <laughs> But that, uh, it was also kind of nice to, like, take care of myself in that way. But I was okay with, like, waiting until, like, 7 o'clock every night to, like, engage with news again and be like, is this going to happen tonight? Nope. Okay, good night. <laughs> like, yeah. I just was like, at that at this point, I'm, like, so strung out. I'm just like, we got to keep it rolling. <laughs> um, have you heard the new Brie Runway mixtape? No, but I heard the ATM song. ATM is good. It's really good. She released um, a remix of Little Nokia with um, Rico mm. Nasty mm. which re- very cute it's a lot of the singles that like have been out recently and then like a couple new songs but as a as a little mixtape compilation it works really really well I like okay. it a lot I just think she's like the coolest pop star right now and she's just like from the UK and black so like it's a little yeah. bit the notoriety is like not as high right now she's she's definitely interesting I have found myself like she'll pop up on if you know how on Spotify you can just start like you're like a radio station based yeah. off of like a song she pops up a lot on those for me yeah so I like less actively go find her but oh, like I'm very familiar with her music because <laughs> yeah. it just yeah. like is around that ATM song is good it's Missy Elliott's best verse in a while yeah. she's giving us Madonna fake British accent it's it it doesn't read as um I read it as fun and inviting versus like drunk auntie oh okay. you know like I, I could I could see like you could totally listen to it and be like what is she doing but I, I read it as like oh she's having fun she wants me to have fun with her on this song you know I, I mean Missy Elliott can do no wrong I know if you ask me I I agree 
Um, so Kylie Minogue. She has a new disco album. Is it Minogue or Minogue? Who knows? Who knows? <laughs> oh my gosh. All right. Well, it's Minogue now. <laughs> um, Kylie Minogue. Kylie Minogue. Uh, no, we have not listened to this album. I don't even know why I brought it up, but I do love her. Good. When you hear the name Kylie, do you think of her or Jenner? Uh, her. Good. I guess. Yeah. Didn't like Kylie Jenner try to start a line called yes. Kylie and then Kylie Minogue was just like, no. Yeah. Or <laughs> like, she tried to like trademark it or something. Kylie's like, I'm literally over here. Like, yeah, and a lot that older is my than you. name. <laughs> like, I yeah. made this name popular before yeah. you were even. Your name, you only named that because of me. Right. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think uh, I've heard a couple of this. I mean, I'm, I love the the year of pop going disco yeah. sort of. Um, I heard she had on some hot. I heard that her hot pants she had on in whatever that video was are like, were like a big deal at the time. What? <laughs> Ignore me. I, I want to find out. Hold on, let me find the article. Pants she wore were a big deal at hot the time. Hot pants, Kylie Minogue hot pants. Look it up. Okay. Um, hot <laughs> Two days ago, CNN reported it. Remember when Kylie Minogue's gold hot pants stole the turn of the millennium? Wow. I don't know any. I'm. I'm gonna be honest. So Kylie. Remember this? Is someone... I... Look at that booty. I love that for her. I... She does not have, like, a, a cultural, like, stamp in my mind. And I know that makes me, like, uncultured American swine. But I just, like, I... It just makes you, like... Yeah. That. That. <laughs> <laughs> um, there's this really cute show on HBO that I kind of accidentally watched it like kind of looked weird but then i just clicked on it but how to with john wilson oh yeah i've seen this pop up i really like it so it's basically just a documentary comedy series where someone john wilson goes around filming like real new yorkers um it just and he has this like very soothing kind of nerdy narrative throughout the whole thing and it's just these kind of silly observations but they're very accessible and like it's kind of calming. But like one episode is about um, scaffolding, and you're like, "What the heck is an episode of HBO?" I know Shawnee's giving me a crazy face, and it <laughs> it became more about like I think we're all just getting really bored. At this no, point. <laughs> no, this is what I'm saying is that he like takes these mundane observations and threads this like really beautiful narrative in them, and like he also got some really cool footage of some crazy stuff that like. Um, like I think it was in New Orleans where that scaffolding on the side of the Hard Rock thing fell. I don't know. This happened earlier this year, but like it fell and killed people. Like oh. it was like scaffolding. And in this episode, he had gone to New Orleans to see different types of scaffolding. And then he films that and goes, that looks dangerous. And then like two months later, it oh. like broke and like killed people. Wow. And I don't know. It's, it's a very, um, it's simple, it's accessible. I think it's like 30 minutes of kind of like, I want to dive into the slice of life thing that isn't so put on. It's very, it feels, um, it feels like someone who's just a beautiful observer offering back a, 
a different way to like look at their experience. I mean, he also has notebooks of like the past like seven years where he's written down everything he's done every day. Like wild, wild. I mean, I don't know if he's fun to be around, but I like the show. Okay. I mean, I might check it out. I don't know if like, what are, what are some other topics he covers? Cause scaffolding is not it for me. The, the, I get it. Uh, <laughs> the, there's only three episodes out. The last one I just watched was about memory. And then it kind of became okay, that's much a little bit about um, people who really believe in the Mandela effect. Yeah. Um, and then like, so then it kind of goes down this rabbit hole of that. You don't? I don't think, do I think that there is a cultural phenomenon of like, Group the Mandela effect is like membering. Did Nelson Mandela exist or not? It's did he die? <laughs> I'm okay, I was like, wait, <laughs> am I having a Mandela effect of what the Mandela effect am is? <laughs> <laughs> did I just jump timelines? Yeah. What happens when the Mandela effect and the butterfly effect combine? Ashton Kutcher still dies. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like that movie fucked me up. Didn't the kid like run through a glass door in that movie? I don't know. I feel like <laughs> I remember it being like very big in my middle school and I have no idea if it was a good movie or not. Like I remember being obsessed with wanting to watch it and <laughs> yeah. I don't think it was that good. I feel like it was one of those movies where like you were just hitting that age where like you could probably go see a horror movie by yeah. yourself in the theater. It's that it was that era of PG thirteen. Yeah, there we go. Yeah. Which means we were probably thirteen. Mm, something like that. I I preferred Mothman Prophecies myself. Oh shit, Mothman Prophecies was creepy. I mean, I don't. I, I think I've seen it as an adult, and I'm like, hmm, this movie isn't that good. But I loved it when I yeah, oh yeah, when it came out. I was like, oh my god, that thing was warning them. <laughs> I like thing was warning it them. was warning them. Um, sad news bears. Um, uh, Mr. Beck is dead. I feel like in order for the universe to give us the gift of Donald Trump losing bigly, yeah. We had to... There had to be a trade-off. Yeah. And... I wish they had just taken... He was holding off. Like, T.I. Oh. Okay. Um, I feel... Is that just because he's, like, acting a fool? Like Honestly, <laughs> black celebrities are really letting me down. <laughs> they have been doing it a lot. The All of them week. are certain black men. Very certain ones. Yeah. Certain black male celebrities. Yeah, yeah there we go. Specifically. Yeah, there we go. Um, but no, Alex Trebek passed away. He was struggling with pancreatic cancer i think he revealed back in like 2018 that yeah. he had stage four pancreatic cancer fuck cancer man no. and i um, saw those videos kind of of this year like watching him kind of get skinny and then yeah he was like looking a little fuller again and uh i don't know there was a really today on twitter i was just seeing like a bunch of really cute videos one i, I love and i might have actually talked about it on the podcast before but when that woman is talking about like nerd math rapping or whatever and she's like and you like you know it's about uh whatever fucking nerd shit and like romantic relationships and finding it hard to talk to people and Alex Rebeck looks at this woman dead in her face and is like losers <laughs> he's like so losers basically yeah. and, like her it pans back to her and she's like like <laughs> Alex Rebeck I feel like could like read people down if he really needed to. Yes. Um, I mean, he always had a little bit of a slightly misogynistic tone. And like yeah. he always, he used to for a while, like especially old episodes, it'd be like two men and a woman. He'd be like, all right, gal. Like he just like talks to them so yeah. weird and like, like little girls. And I hated that part about that show. And cultural icon. I mean, there were people. Absolutely. You every everybody knows Jeopardy. Everybody yeah. knows Alex Trebek. I was reading a quote of his 
earlier today that was that went along the lines of something like he's just really proud of the show because he was like people engage with us every day and we're just like in people's homes but in such a non-invasive like non-threatening way and i'm like it's so true like i remember being a kid in jeopardy just being like on On. yeah (laughs) my family was definitely a little bit more of a wheel of fortune household yeah you know what i mean and um I you mean Republican? <laughs> I mean, <laughs> we don't like facts. Um, yeah. No, my dad really liked Jeopardy. Um, but I think now, when they put him on Netflix, I was like falling asleep to Jeopardy a lot. I feel like within the last oh, two cute. years, Jeopardy has come back in my life in a really big way because, like, I'm not wa- fucking watching TV. Like, I'm not 84 years no. old. You know, like. I'm not doing that. Were you good at Jeopardy? Like, did you know the answers? I feel like I used to consistently know the answers. I feel like college Jeopardy, I can get like 30%. And then real Jeopardy, it just depends on if there's a pop culture category or not. There we go. (laughs) I'll be like, it's fucking Solange. Solange is the answer. Oh, these idiots. Right. (laughs) Did you see that clip of that man recently where, to be fair, Janet did look like Ariana? Like she was dressed like Ariana Janet Jackson. Yes, because like Ariana Grande. Okay, I'll show this clip. Maybe we'll put it in how, here. I don't even know how that could happen. As the recipient of the 2018 Icon Award, she took control and took to the stage in her first live TV performance in nearly a decade. <laughs> Who is Ariana Grande? No. Not- the clue was like, who who is this comeback tour? Like, who who is on this comeback tour? And then it shows a little video clip, and she is wearing like an oversized sweater, thigh-high boots, and a pony, and is walking across the stage. And this man, who has no idea who any of these people are... <laughs> Obviously. Definitely was not a black man. Was like, uh, Ariana Grande. And it's just like, no. <laughs> like, it's just like, it, it even had like the word control in the clue. And it's like very obviously Janet Jackson. And I don't man know if that speaks like more Ariana to Ar- Ariana's impact with a ponytail or her black fishing. I don't know which one that speaks to more. But I think both simultaneously. Both simultaneously. Oh my gosh. Um... Well, let's take a quick break, and then when we come back, we will be with LPC BJ Rudd. Alrighty, friends, welcome back to QBT. We are joined by BJ Rudd, LPC of Chicago, zooming in. How are you? How you doing? Welcome. I am doing great. It feels good to be here. I've listened to the podcast and I just love y'all's energy. So I'm excited. I am. I have been so excited since we made a potential Twitter connection about you coming on. <laughs> I think the minute that I realized that you um, were a therapist yourself and then also had a podcast, Black People Go to Therapy Too, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so like having also great name for a podcast uh, it's such a good name and it's such a good podcast like having (laughs) having babes on to just talk about their own experience and there's Mm -hmm. obviously love between you and the people that you're talking to like it's wonderful and i think it speaks to your desire to be working um in partnership and in care with um folks who maybe traditionally historically 
don't have a lot of access in history of therapy. And I think that's a lot of what Shawnee was bringing up in our first couple episodes was just like, mm-hmm. yeah, let's get rid of this stigma. Yeah. And I mean, it's not even necessarily stigma sometimes, I don't think. It's just when there's not, you're not exposed to it and you don't see it, you you don't know to that that's a resource or a tool that you can lean on. But we can get mm-hmm. into that yeah. a little bit later. <laughs> Got a lot of feelings about that. Yeah. <laughs> so many feelings. Um, to get us started, we love to ask folks, um, what are identities that are important to you and how you shape living in this world, moving through it? Yeah. Um, this one's always really hard because I feel like I have so many. I'm like, you're so extra. Um, but I'm learning to embrace my extraness, right? It's nice that I yes. can like name these identities. So... Um, first and foremost, being black, uh, being queer, um, and I kind of vacillate between the two. Like, am I like saying gay, queer, um, depending on the context? Uh, but I feel like queer feels right to me. Um, advocate, partner, son, uncle, proud uncle of ten nieces and nephews. Ten. Um, that's so many. Ten of my my siblings. They they oh. put in work. Um, <laughs> I hope you get my child support today. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, other ones like I'm learning some other ones to really embrace that are a little difficult. Uh, just for the sense of being like, oh, really? That's what you feel like. But um, really learning like the identity of being a resource, uh, just mm. for the mental health field, especially for um, Black and Indigenous people of color. Um, and artists, artists is the newer one too. Like recognizing that I can't draw where it's shit. Um, yes. oh, is it okay if I cuss? Oh, yeah. Uh, Fuck no, yeah. our sponsors don't agree with that. So <laughs> Disney, Disney is our yeah. main advertiser. I don't think you can cuss yeah, at all. We've scrapped the episode. Thanks. Thank you. <laughs> um, no, like you're reconnecting with like, um, feeling like an artist and that even though I can't draw what I'm doing, yeah. there's a sense of artistry that comes along with it. I have to be yes. creative. Um, and yeah, yeah, I say those are the, the identities that really stick out to me. Um, human, really, really trying to reconnect with like what it means to be human uh, in this work that I do, in this world mm-hmm. that I live in, uh, and in the people that I interact and like the expectations that I have, not only for them, but like for myself and like connecting with people too. Yeah. What do you mind telling our listeners exactly what you do for a living and how you are a resource to people? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I am a psychotherapist. Uh, I prefer like just therapist, counselor, whatever word uh, people like best. Um, and I work in private practice, uh, more so recently working at an LGBTQIA focused uh, private practice. And I'm doing a what's considered a postmasters fellowship, um, which just means I get way more supervision and way more opportunities to learn. Um, Lovely. So yeah, I previously was at a private practice that was, um, uh, uh, what's the best way to describe it? <laughs> I'm uh, loving this pause. <laughs> yeah, I was She's trying to like pregnant. <laughs> it was a lot more working with non-diverse populations. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot more white. A lot more middle SES. Mm-hmm. A lot more not feeling like I can bring all aspects of myself to that. And now being in like a new system where they're like bring all of those things in um, mm-hmm. and 
making myself interview that way too. Like, hey, mm-hmm. these are all the aspects of myself that I'm bringing in. So y'all either love it or hate it um, yes. has really just allowed me to reconnect with like that last identity I mentioned, like just being more human. Like I can be myself as a therapist and that is a professional. That is mm-hmm. someone who is a resource. That is someone who can like connect with you instead of just making it feel so clinical and cold. That really resonates with me because I think my therapist now, I I think that she is a little unconventional and very sort of, she's a black woman um, who I also uh, went to school for therapy and like practice mm-hmm. for a while. So I very much, so when I am in therapy, like I know these tricks, I know exactly what you're <laughs> going to say. I've already mm-hmm. plotted out my answer. Now what? Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> and she, because she is very unconventional and human to your point, um, BJ, that shit doesn't work on her. Like, I'll say whatever, and she'll just be like, uh, that sounds like you're trying to put that back on me. Or, hmm, are we being a little arrogant? Or, hey, I'm just gonna, like, stretch. Are you okay with that? Like, keep talking. I'm just gonna, like, stretch while you're talking. Oh, I love and I'm that. just like, okay, yeah, girl, like, be you. And because of that, we have such natural dialogue with each other mm-hmm. whenever we get on. It's not this contrived sort of stale, sterile conversation. There was like, yeah. you're the therapist, I have to see her prim and proper. Like we're both just cussing and like shooting the shit. <laughs> yes. Yes. I love that aspect too. It's like people come in with so many like views of what therapy is. Like they mm-hmm. see what they see on TV. Um what was that terrible Tyler Perry movie? <laughs> oh my God. Where, Why did I get married? No, the one where Taraji walked on water apparently in order to get oh, in this back room. Acrimony. Yeah. <laughs> I just, I want that movie to leave my memory. I don't want it there. <laughs> like, you can see the misconception of therapy just by the way that, like, Tyler Perry, of course, like, depicted it that way. But, like, this thing that people think that everyone should come in being guarded and that mm-hmm. your therapist is not going to, like, really seek to connect with you, is not going to be warm, is not going to, like, yeah. exude that sort of care, that it's just a yeah. sterile... CBT sort of like, what do you want to work on? I'm gonna give you the tools and you're gonna leave. Would you um, like a worksheet? Yeah, like, <laughs> this, this is not me. I, I really like, I don't even say homework. I'm like, the week's challenge. <laughs> I, just, like, I want people to come in and like, know that this should, this is gonna be work, but like, this doesn't have to feel like this place where you can't bring every aspect of yourself. Like, be yeah. you, cuss if you need to. We're gonna laugh. Um, I'm a therapist who laughs all the time. And the other therapists are like, what were you guys laughing at? I'm like, mm-hmm. like just, just life. Like we we're depression. Talking. Yeah, it's funny sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> it do be that way though. Um, no, like, I, I really like being able to like just be myself uh, in the yeah. room and holding myself to that. Like the most I got to do is be myself today, and yeah. that feels like less of a like tall order. Yeah, I think that a lot of what you both are talking about started unraveling for me by going to therapy a little bit you know like getting into the practice and then as you were just talking I was remembering kind of like my first time on a on a couch which it was a low-income clinic it was probably like an uncomfortable chair but like <laughs> I, uh, I remember like Ikea folding chair. yeah they were like <laughs> <laughs> sit there yeah it was just like also had just like Ikea like uh, a hanging what am i trying to say those things that you put in a corner if you don't have a closet it's just like like a, room a wardrobe divider. yeah no like oh, a, like, oh. like a changing thing like oh my god where it's yeah, like just things. my head oh you know? yeah <laughs> that, like in um, the cartoons they would like get dressed behind it and they'd be like very that very yeah, that, yeah, yeah. yeah quick change um anyway uh of feeling so nervous and my hands ringing and like being like uh, like 
I'm, I'm here. I don't know what I'm supposed to do. What's the right answer? You know, and thankfully this, you know, dude, we didn't have a long relationship, but it at least made me feel comfortable in that moment. And I think that was where some of that unlearning happened for me. And then another part is being in school now. I'm, I'm taking a social work route, so I'm getting, I'll be a licensed clinical social worker, but it's still, mm-hmm. it's, it's similar. We do similar work, you know, and being in these spaces where I had all these expectations about going back to school around all the, all the theories I had to learn, all the modalities and all these interventions. And those are obviously there for a reason and important to know and all these things. But like what makes you a good therapist is how human you can be in the room with someone. Mm -hmm. And like, I'm, I'm also in a clinic now where I'm like working with these other doctors and stuff who like, have years more school than me and a different title than me. And then are also though, like struggling with the, like being a human thing. And I like, that is, that's interesting to me that that um, comes naturally to us. Cause you can come to therapy and be like, I'm excited to be making a career for myself. Right. And I, whenever I have heard you talk about this work, it's always been around like connection and it's been more around healing and being human and like i think when you view it as a job some of that can strip away and i just um maybe that's us being like naive and new (laughs) you know i hope not but like um yeah it'll beat you down just like (laughs) yeah she's the retired one here she's she's like clients walking you're just like what the fuck do you want no 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 no. just kidding just kidding (laughs) but bj so you said that you worked in corporate america for a bit and then um got into mental health like what was the journey like like what brought you here sort of what change needed to happen in your life if anything needed to happen at all Mm -hmm. um i I think of it's the journey but you know still here (laughs) by tisha campbell um that's a really good message by the way like the the song is so corny but it's like a really good message but like no we love a journey (laughs) where it started tisha campbell too Uh, it started with me leaving undergrad and just really feeling pressure to go into grad school. Like Mm -hmm. it sucks for like our generation where a bachelor's used to get you like any job you wanted and you could like save and you could buy a house, you could buy property, like all that shit. But like Mm -hmm. now it's that it's like, you got to have a master's if you want to do anything in like certain fields. So I really went into like, I moved to Chicago and I think it was 2009 uh, for grad school. But for me, like my background, like I grew up pastor son, Pentecostal pastor son, um, closeted Southern Illinois, like a lot of having to mute my identities. Um, And I think, once I got here in grad school, I even went to a Christian undergraduate. Didn't help. Uh, I thought it was going to like get the gay out of me, you know. Um, yeah. But uh, once I moved to Chicago, that's when I came out. And so that first go around in grad school, it was like undergrad. And so I was in classes. I was doing some of the work. Um, but what was really missing for me was one, I need, had some living that I need to do. I needed some mm-hmm. experiences. Um, I think I was also taking it for granted, like thinking of like the access that I had to even like, cool, you're in grad school, like take advantage of it. Um, But I think one major thing was my passion at that time or the populations I said I wanted to work with. I just said, um, what was the word I used? Did I use marginalized communities? And I didn't know what 
I meant specifically with that. Like I couldn't name the type of ideal client that I wanted. I just felt like that is what everyone was talking about. That was like the year of people bringing up diversity. Mm -hmm. Um, And so- Diversity is so big right now. Yeah, it was like such a big word. Like we had a diversity (laughs) class where it was like nothing that was new to me. Um, But I ended up having to like take a leave of absence just because of like affordability reasons. Um, And also I think I needed a break. I felt burnout and it was likely because I didn't have that passion to like sustain me. Um, Mm -hmm. It's because I didn't really know what I wanted to do. I just kind of felt like I was living someone else's life and like moving with the momentum. Mm -hmm. So that led me into, I don't know why I want to work in corporate America. Um, That led me there where um, five years of like doing marketing and I learned so many skills and I grew up in those positions too, which really helped. I got that party anatomy somewhat. Um, (laughs) I I learned like self-control. I learned what it meant Mm -hmm. to be a professional, like things I can't fault. But one thing I really missed was that my work didn't, um, didn't necessarily have any value or impact on the communities that I cared about. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think what really made the shift of like, questioning the identities that I held previously was or right after Michael Brown was murdered mm-hmm. and recognizing like the divide between co-workers and what they were saying especially white co-workers um white friends and like what they were and were not saying um which really allowed me to like really depend on like my community uh, my black mm-hmm. queer community um and develop those friendships in start asking like, hey, so what does support look like for us? Like, mm. do we do we go to therapy? Like, is that something that we do? Yeah. Um, and after like looking for a therapist, realizing that, hey, I'm struggling to find someone who shares my identities. Like I'm yeah. struggling to find someone who doesn't just say we're a diverse uh, private practice and you have all white clinicians who mm-hmm. their diversity just includes that they went to like one LGBTQIA informative like mm-hmm. session. Um, and so I decided that like, it was time for me to create that sort of representation that I wanted to see. Um, and the passion was all of a sudden there as I was talking about it more with like my friends and my family, um, and the There's way like I a was... discovery of purpose. Yeah. Yeah. It was, that's exactly what it was. It was discovering like, oh, this is where my passion lies. Mm. Like I can be myself. And I can also help people who are like me just want a clinician where they don't have to explain everything. Yeah. They can come in and be themselves. Yeah, ultimately. Mm-hmm. That's what I miss most, I think, about like where I used to work with disadvantaged youth. I put that in quotes <laughs> um, because it always has just felt weird to say. And I'm like, I guess because what they're like black and brown kids that like dropped out of high school. So they're disadvantaged youth. All right. Um, but mm-hmm. I mean, I used to work with them one on one. And though I don't do that anymore. The thing that sometimes keeps me up at night is just, oh, I miss that one-on-one connection, like, with those kids. I feel more fulfilled with what I do now for a living because I do get to Mm -hmm. help, like, people of color and queers make money the way, like, to create things. But Mm -hmm. I do miss the sort of one-on-one interactions in that way. And I think that those interactions are super important no matter what age you are because it does Mm -hmm. sort of show you that a community does... Um, exists that does look like you. So, I mean, I guess I'm saying all this to say big props to you because there are not yeah, a lot of um, black, queer, anything, but especially therapists. <laughs> um, yeah. And I think it's it's really beautiful, too, to think about how you're talking 
about feeling kind of this disconnect and realizing that there's some living that needs to be done. And then the thing that kind of like brings you back into yourself is the community connection. And like, that is mm-hmm. not something, I don't think everyone always does that, right? I don't think everyone finds themselves in a purpose of community care and thinking about how do we move forward? And like, I and maybe some of that comes from you have it already or something like you're not needing to find it. So you don't like know that there's some purpose there or something. But um, I just think I found that really similarly to like trying to go to therapy and just being like, is there anyone queer here? Like, do Mm -hmm. I have to like sort of, do I have to come in and talk to you about the sort of, culture of coming out in North Carolina to Southern Mm -hmm. Baptist. Like, do I have to really spend 45 minutes of a paid session telling you what that looks like? Because like Mm -hmm. most other people, if I say those string of words together, like there's automatically like nine sort of images that are like, Oh baby. Okay. Got it. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You know, like, and it's just, not only is it um, more fulfilling as a client to come in and have that work, sort of not need to be brought into the room because it's already there. Um, but it literally is like, it saves me money. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. like if these fucking sessions or if I have fucking uh, insurance that only gives me four sessions, I don't want to spend yeah. two explaining to you what the world is like for me. And mm-hmm. like, I think um, we have these individual models, right? Like we have these models of come, you have access, come sit down and we'll work on you. But I think... Mm-hmm. What I'm hearing from you and what I like to think about too is that moves outward. You know, like one person's internal work becomes like some change in their family or friend group, you know? And like, but if we aren't yet at the point where we can kind of um, do more systems changing, you know, like, yeah. I think it's really important for therapists to spend a lot of time holding space and consideration for this is not a space for you to come and learn how to cope in an a healthy way with the world. The world is fucked up and it is not like, it is not like having an abnormal sort of reaction to it is normal. (laughs) Like it is not normal that we experience the world this way. It is not normal that the black community experiences America this way. You know, like that is fucked up. And instead of you coming to me trying to like, let's get you better. It's like, let's have some space to just really sift through that. You know, Mm -hmm. I just think it's beautiful. Yeah. Let's talk about how it's fucked up. Like, let's talk about how, before you got in front of me, you had to be discouraged so many times looking through psychology today or Googling diverse therapists or black therapists and finding white therapists listed there. Like, let's talk about how frustrating that is. And I think that's also like another misconception of therapy. A lot of times people think that they wanna go to therapy to talk about this one thing. but or like one thing in particular but there's so much other work that needs to be done or other things that need that that time and that energy and that space and i think i i like to think that like that's what i bring to the therapy room it's the sense of hey we don't have to hop right into like let's diagnose you and let's tell you what that means and let's talk about managing those symptoms like let me get to know you okay like sure we're both black and so there's some understanding of this experience but like Mm -hmm. let me ask specific questions that aren't so much like if you had a therapist that didn't share some of these identities gonna be like tell me what it was like growing up black in a mainly like white town 
Like, yeah. I don't want to go through that again. Like, yeah. it's nice to know that you have a therapist where you can skip some of those things and that they truly do understand and get it when you talk about like how white supremacy has like even shaped your identity and influenced mm. your identity in some ways too. Yeah. And it's just also easy when if your uh, client is going through an emotion or a thought that they can't really put their finger on, this has happened with me. You as a mm-hmm. therapist having had that experience or just knowing that community really well because you belong to it can sometimes just like name that. Mm-hmm. And uh-huh. it makes, well, being on the other side of that, it, like it's truly life-changing because you'll feel yeah. like, oh my God, I feel seen. Like I feel heard. I feel like somebody gets it. I don't even get it. And like you mm-hmm. get it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Like once I had, um, I, my, my therapist now is a black woman and like, I love her to death. Like <laughs> everyone needs some, a black woman as a therapist. Um, okay. But once I was able to name perfectionism and then like go further than naming that perfectionism, seeing that perfectionism as a result of like white supremacist culture, <laughs> like white supremacy, white oppression. You better stop. I just got chills. Because <laughs> like, I've also been working on this. It's like... Mm-hmm. Well, of course you feel the need to be perfect. Like you could die if you're not. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Once you had, a, I had a name for that. I'm like, it's something about the power. Like they always talk about the power of naming something. Like there's so much power between having uh, a way to name that and to then be able to navigate it and be like, you know what? That's my perfectionism turning up. Like, this is not on me. This is not me being hard on myself. Like this is me responding to trauma, uh, to generational trauma, to what the systems, these systems that I like live and navigate are like pulling from me. And it's, it's so liberating to be able to name that. Mm-hmm. Which could easily be overlooked or, again, something you'd have to explain to somebody if you had, like, a white woman therapist. It's like, Mm -hmm. they're not going to understand sort of that internal dialogue that happens, right? They're just thinking perfectionism is, not that it doesn't stem from something else, but, like, they're probably looking at it one way, not understanding how race or um, your sexuality, like, plays into all of that Mm -hmm. as well. Yeah, yeah, I it, I felt like, and I only had an email with a couple of therapists, but I just felt like when I asked about like the diversity within their practice mm-hmm. that I would look through all the therapists. And I'm like, okay, like I don't see any of us. Like, yeah. I don't even see like anyone who looks queer. Because the next yeah. thing is like, okay, let's look for a person of color. Okay, can't find that. Let me find somebody who looks at least queer or talks about queerness. Um, and it's just so hard to to navigate that that whole search and it's draining and it's exhausting and it's discouraging and like ultimately that's part of like what comes with being a therapist for me it's like if I can't work with someone or even if someone just has a question it's not going to what I've seen like most professional therapists go to like oh I would need to evaluate you before I could like make suggestions or even like wanting to charge for just like telling someone how to find a therapist um I'm like hey if my community is reaching out like I may take a couple days to answer that DM or (laughs) answer that email, but like, Mm -hmm. I can at least point you in the right direction. Like I can at least be a resource because like, if I share this with you, you can share this with so many other people within Mm -hmm. your own networks and communities and ultimately make therapy accessible um, to all. 
Because, like, what good does gatekeeping do? Like, what good does it to get to this point and be like, well, I'm going to not share anything with anyone because I've got to, like, if I'm in the niche market, I've got to keep that. You know, like, what the fuck mm-hmm. is that for? Who is that for? I'm yeah. um, deeply fascinated by um, this gift that you have of being in a, a queer private practice. And, you know, like, especially um, newly out of school and, and newly doing these things and uh, jumping right into that, like, comfort. And, like, I, I'm sure challenge in a lot of different ways. But what is this first kind of year looking like for you? Yeah, um, that's an amazing question. Um, So I started in August. I graduated in July. Yeah, started in August. Congrats. Thank you. Uh, Ultimately, (laughs) I just, as I said before, like I was afraid that I was leaving school, especially after having returned and like forgetting, honestly, some of the stuff (laughs) um, that I did like in 2009 versus like going back through school in 2019, 2020. I chose a postmaster's fellowship because I'm like, I don't want to be this therapist that's just assumed that, hey, you finished school, you got your license, you can just do your own thing. Like I wanted to be challenged. I knew that I needed to be stretched and that I had a lot of growth, especially because I knew that my population was like mainly holding space for like people of color, queer people of color. Um, well, not just queer people, but like people of color. Um, and being intentional about holding space for queer, Black, Indigenous people of color. Um, But part of the reason I I chose this training program was because, as I said, like, I wanted to be challenged. Um, And I wasn't willing to accept that school provided me with enough experience to go out there and even work with my own community. So, like, that was a standard that I just, like, had for myself. But um, what it's been like starting is... I held myself to one thing, and that is remembering past systems that I've been within and how I haven't felt valued and how I felt um, that I had to fit in instead of like feeling that that belonging. And I, I told myself I wouldn't do this. And so like day one, I talked about how I've existed within previous systems. Like day one, I talked about um, here's something to notice. If I'm saying a lot of this, like, this is how I'm feeling. So ultimately I was like, Mm. I'm gonna tell y'all how to train me, like how to care for me, how to, um, the things to look out for. Um, And it felt so uncomfortable because like, I've never gone into a job feeling like I could bring all aspects of myself, but I wanted to let them know that this is my new commitment. Um, That's why I went to school and worked my old job plus school plus internship was so that I could have an opportunity to grow as myself as a therapist um Mm -hmm. and I felt like other jobs right out of school like my old internship they didn't want to help me individually grow um Mm -hmm. they wanted to maybe assess whether my skills would get them in trouble ethically but that's about all they were looking for um they couldn't really help with the free-ish labor yeah free-ish labor um (laughs) making me think that my value was 25 dollars a session that I was charging clients Y'all bring up, <clears throat> you both bring up an interesting point that I haven't had to think about for a while. But um, I, I find it interesting. I think about the idea of burnout and sort of fit as a counselor, as a therapist, which I think a lot of people don't think about either, right? If you're somebody who is interested in going into mental health counseling in any way, shape, or form, 
it is not this thing where like you just go to school and then you just start doing it like you you could just do that but like you know you could easily get burnt out if you're at a place where you don't Mm -hmm. feel like you fit in or where you're only getting a certain kind of client that like you might not be super i mean let's be honest like excited to deal with like clients that are suffering or dealing with whatever issues they are um so i guess I don't know if I even have a question here, but like, I guess I just find it interesting that you sort of actually, I know what the question is. <laughs> we got there. <laughs> how, how much has trying to find a good fit in terms of like a, a practice, a place to practice uh, in terms of making sure you're working with clients that you want to work with? How much of that has affected your mental health, like as a counselor as well? Yeah. Um, like I just compare where I am now to my previous internship. Um, And in terms of the ways that I felt in that last internship, I honestly felt like I should expect people to not like keep showing up. I should Mm. expect to feel like I can't connect with some clients. And it wasn't much more exploration past that. It was a lot of, you're doing great. Um, I was the one black intern they had. So it was a lot of, not feeling coddled, but feeling like they could not um, give constructive feedback for fear of being a problematic white supervisor. Um, So something that's kind of, and I think I almost lost the question, um, something that's really like come up for like working in a place where I've been able to like bring all those aspects of myself and doing this work um, for my own mental health. It just feels good knowing that the person that I am in therapy is congruent with the person that I am outside of therapy. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't have to fear that um, the person I felt pulled to be in my last um, site, I didn't feel like would align with who um, clients would see if they ran into me on the streets mm-hmm. or if they saw my social media or if they just heard me talk outside of uh, the kind of clinical setting. Mm-hmm. And that's one beautiful thing about working with people, not only that I share identities with, um, but working in a system that wants to see me grow, but also says you're great as you are, um, is that I can show up on days where I have only 50% and trust that that is okay because you can't always give it 100%. Um, So I don't know if that answers your question. (laughs) Like I kind of talked around it. (laughs) No, I think you did. I think it also made me think about, uh, so this clinic that I'm working at right now, it's uh, all private practice and very... um, only like certain insurances, no sliding scale, anything. It's like a very like, um, on paper, I'm like, I don't want to work here. But then I chose it because I found like I was getting some gaps in my like program at school. So I was like, I'm going to go work with some doctors and they'll just be like the heartless, but they will know a theory. Like they'll know yeah. a practice, you know? Um, but I am, I am a, tokenized by them in some ways because I know that they were trying to open up a queer clinic and I was like mm-hmm. oh I'm actually going to consent a little bit to this exchange of knowledge but so- some of that is happening with this like it's not coddling but it's like it's like a fear of uh offering valuable feedback because it's like well we mm-hmm. don't want to like scare them away or whatever you know mm-hmm. what I mean and it's like it's me and then the other social worker that's there so we're tokens because we're social workers and then I'm the queer one and then she is a black woman who's like the only black woman and so we're just like texting on the side of work meetings and shit but it's it's such a weird dynamic of in order to get and receive valuable feedback and grow and have that self-awareness that you're offering you have to be around people that you can trust and like Mm -hmm. that is 
to be able to have that in a work environment is so special. And I think to the way that you have talked about yourself, this 30 some odd minutes, um, there's such a, a, a deep self-awareness paired with a deep understanding of connection outward. And I'm wondering, is that something because you talk like a therapist which is like great I love that I love talking I love therapists that talk like therapists um I I would I love having a heart conversations you know what I mean and um mm-hmm. I'm wondering is that something that has been part of your lived experience for most of your life or is that like you've come to this learning and are now figuring out ways to implement it um because there's like knowing the thing and then living the thing. And I hear you living mm-hmm. the thing. And I'm just wondering, is like at nine, were you like, this is what's going on in my body? And like, <laughs> you know, or like, was that very like, oh, school taught me these things? Um, no, I, I, I don't think so. So I think there are aspects of like, I, I do relational work. Relational cultural was one that I learned only this second go round in school um, in like 2019. So like when I was in school in 2009, I was like, I am client-centered. Um, and I realized that that's not even my personality. Like, I am not just a, mm-hmm, hmm mm-hmm. Like, no, I talk about what I'm picking up. I talk about, like, what I see. Um, and so in realizing that, like, for the first time, that that is, I have a true approach to therapy, um, I was kind of, like, looking back to being, like, why does this, like, connect so much with me? Why is this so, like, attractive to me, this idea of that we only grow in connection with other people and that, like, one of our main purposes in life is learning how to navigate navigate disconnection um, and learning from that. Um, It was growing up in church. Like, I literally had a community and saw a community. Um, The bad side of that was um, there's this... And there's this thing called um, the central relational uh, paradox, uh, where it says that we, like we mute parts of ourselves in hopes that we will have like stronger connections with people. So like right. those things that we hate about ourselves, we're like, uh, uh-uh, like I'm gonna present us this way, mm-hmm. thinking that it like in- increases connection, mm-hmm. but actually it aids in disconnection because we aren't being our true authentic selves. And so I feel like that was a lot of my lived experience in church, like denying the fact that I was queer, denying the fact that like, I don't think that I'm truly Pentecostal. I think that I just grew up in this and this is safe and this is just, I feel like what I should do or else I'm going to go to hell and burn. Like it was, mm-hmm. uh, that aspect was missing. Um, and being able to, again, like name that and see how many times in my life, like growing up as one of the only black kids in a lot of my classrooms and being able to name um, the facts where I had like my own internalized racism, my own internalized homophobic, uh, homophobia, um, in all these aspects of myself that I wasn't showing to other people, but also that I have stopped showing to myself, um, really aided in this journey to like reconnecting with a lot of those aspects of myself that I had never like allowed to play, allowed to like run out and be free and just accept the like, this just like makes me who I am. Uh, and so that's just been so beautiful. One, having a relational cultural uh approach to therapy and finding that that actually connects with who I am. I'm not just choosing from a list uh, at a school yes. says you have to like it here too. Yes. Yeah. I think that, and this is a good point that for listeners that are in therapy or looking like for a therapist that I think people don't think about when you're looking for a therapist, like 
all therapists sort of have their own unique approach to how they do things. And that a lot of times beyond the sort of democratic, democratic, oh my gosh, demographic <laughs> uh, information, like, are they queer? Are they black? Are they this? Are they that? Take it a step deeper. And you really want to get to understand like a therapist's approach. Like, how are they going to practice therapy? How are they going to deal with you essentially? Yeah. And I mm-hmm. think that when you're looking for a therapist, whether it is on the phone call when you're booking the appointment or in that very first session, um, ask you, that. you have to ask that. Yeah. You need to feel empowered to say, mm-hmm. what is your approach? Because A, that approach is usually, to your point, BJ, like based on and dictated by like that therapist's like life experiences. Mm-hmm. And if you come from different backgrounds then you can almost sort of bet that their approach probably doesn't align with what you're with what you need like out of therapy Mm -hmm. not to say that's always true but i've just seen that it's like give me an opportunity i feel like it's good advice and that can be a little intimidating when you're like well whatever they tell me i won't know but i think a good answer to that question and someone in therapy who will offer you something beautiful there is able to explain it to you yeah you know is able to offer it in a way that's like this is what this will look like in practice with you mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. i want to have you back to fully just talk about <laughs> post-church shit <laughs> like i was like having some chills Oof. and like t- t- tears welling a little bit like fully um hear you <laughs> I like I think that that is um it especially that part about like the hiding of self and then having to like mm. kind of come into adulthood unlocking those doors that have been shut for a long time you know like I, I mm-hmm. think when we hide ourselves like there's also a thing of um locking away access to joy because like we're not mm-hmm. like able to step into that because what we find joyful is so shameful <laughs> you yeah. know and so um but um as we are kind of wrapping up, I would love to, you can treat it as a straight up uh, pitch for your podcast. But I would, I, <laughs> what I find more interesting is like, what does that work for you? So your podcast, Black People Go to Therapy too, um, you know, beautiful work. And also tell us what it's about, but also mm-hmm. how are you feeling about it? Yeah, absolutely. So I just came up with like the phrase that I'm like, oh yeah, that is what my podcast is. Um, I've been thinking about like PhD, like PsyD programs and what my research would be about and ways to like not feel like I need to like find something just to like bring up in interviews, but actually like, what am I passionate about? Um, And I thought about my podcast and I'm just like, it's about this demystification of therapy. And like part of the reason that like therapy has seemed so mysterious has been because of like white supremacy. Um, it has been that black people and brown people and queer people it, haven't known that like we can access this, that this isn't just something, even though it's created by straight cis white men. Mm-hmm. Um, let's fuck it up. Every, not a, Yeah, let's fuck it up. Like every <laughs> therapy has got to look like completely different and it can look completely different. Um, so what really like also brought me to creating this podcast is I had done one previously and it was just like trying to be like the read, uh, to be honest, like it heard of her. Yeah. It felt like a second rate, uh, version Mm -hmm. of the read. Um, but I really wanted a podcast for one. I could kind of do it myself because having like two people that I had to align schedules with, which is was not working for me, (laughs) Um, (laughs) but like, I wanted to do it for myself. I also wanted to make sure that it was filling in the gaps of my, 
experience at that um, site where I had mainly middle-class cis male clients. Um, so um, I birthed it out of like this idea that do we know like which of our friends are in therapy and these conversations were like i had all of these friends who were in therapy and i had no idea because we weren't really talking about it unless yeah. we had like a conversation geared towards like hey do y'all know a therapist and then you mm -hmm. would see all of these people joining in the group chat who had like all these ideas and i'm like we don't talk about this enough like we got mm -hmm. to like we need to hear these conversations mm -hmm. um and so like I can explain a little bit. So the idea is that like, I'm the host um, and mainly I just wanna be there to offer like some demystification of the therapy mm. process. But ultimately I'm interviewing someone about their process for finding a therapist, what led them to doing it. Um, I want them to talk about the good, the bad, the ugly. Like let's talk about all aspects of therapy because too many people go to therapy for the first time have a bad experience and they talk about that experience therefore discouraging so many people who look like us and live like us like discouraging them from accessing therapy and so this yeah. podcast just serves as a way to say hey there are people who have tried five different therapists and they found it on their fifth one um hey there are people who found a therapist their first go round and it worked for a year but things change yeah. uh, so just ways to show the different experiences in and out of therapy but that it doesn't mean that they shouldn't access it it doesn't mean that it's not their right to explore their mental health just because they have one to two to three to however many bad experiences mm -hmm. well it's beautiful work and i love seeing it things like this pop up more. I think in our early conversations, I'm like, I see mental health podcasts and I see gay gab fest shit. I don't <laughs> see this like s blending and some of that demystification and some of that mm -hmm. um, not holding... I mean, maybe this conversation is not like the best example of this, but not holding therapy on such a pedestal, right? Like yeah. it's like, it's... And it's not for everyone. <laughs> like as much as yeah. I'm like, everyone should go to therapy. I'm also like, everyone should mm -hmm. not go to therapy. Like sometimes yeah. therapy sucks and it's so individual centered mm -hmm. often that it like puts a lot of responsibility on the person to react better to the world or whatever. You know, we've already talked about yeah. this, but I just, I think you have um, really beautiful work. You have a really calming voice. I like, I've only... Yeah. I don't know how you sounded in my head from Twitter, but it wasn't like this. <laughs> and Do like, I sound like a barb on Twitter? <laughs> no, no. Oh, no. No, I would not follow you if that were true. Um, <laughs> um, no, I think uh, I, I appreciate that not only are you engaging with this career and this uh, way of being in this world that speaks to you and also speaks to your community, but also that you have this new stepping into the truth of being an artist and a storyteller and like letting those things blend and maybe it didn't work the last time because it wasn't really like what was calling your heart you know and mm -hmm. like now you're having this thing that is speaking to you on broader levels and, and on deeper levels and you get to have these conversations with people you love and care about and it just um I just feel really grateful that you're here and that you sh that you've made time for us today on this beautiful Sunday. <laughs> yeah, I'm so happy you asked me to do this. Like I, I told you, like I sometimes get very much in my head and insecure about like I'm not an expert. So like, mm -hmm. why? What am I going to talk about? Like, what do they want me to talk about? Like, are they going to find out that I'm a fraud? You know, yes. that imposter syndrome comes in so strong. It's okay, uh, we're frauds too, so we yeah. can just. <laughs> 
and this I'm, like, fraudulent I'm podcast. Myself. Like we're human. <laughs> like I only have the experiences that I have. Like yep. no more, no less. And like I can talk about that. And it's okay to say I don't know. It's okay yes. to be like I'm still figuring it out. Um, that's absolutely okay. So I'm trying to hold myself to that a lot more often too. Mm. Um, I don't even have a, an exit away from that. I just I think that's <laughs> that's uh, I I really identify with it, and I um I think. When you were like, I'm not an expert, I'm like, oh, perfect. I don't want you to, uh, that's not what I want. You know, like, I want yeah. you to be a faggot on my screen talking about therapy. Mm-hmm. You know, like, that's yeah. what I want. And I think, um, and we don't put experts on this podcast anyways, because then we would look like idiots. Right. So, <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. The demystification is here. like keep keeping it like, you know, like new. Everyone's new. We're always No. Um, well, let's take a quick break and then we will be right back. Welcome back. We're here. We're here. We're all queer. Good for us. And we're going to pop some pills. Um, So it's pills and potions. It's a barb podcast now. No, uh, I quit. I retired from counseling and I've retired from podcasting. Thanks, Nicki Minaj. Um, So we're going to do our segment, Take Your Meds. Um, Who wants to go first? I can I can start. I mean, I think yesterday was a day that I decided to step into joy in terms of celebrating the downfall of, you know, Donald Trump getting his losing news on a golf course. Like all of that, it just like the the whole four seasons thing. It just like it was it was a lot to take joy in and I let myself do it and I engaged with my housemates and it was awesome. But the the moment that stuck out to me the most besides this kind of like collective sigh of relief we got to engage in was um I was having like a sleepy morning and kind of finally came downstairs at like eleven and just like just shorts on like kind of groggily getting some water and then I hear a knock and I turn around and my like uh, housemate neighbor is like I can see her eyeballs and she's like holding champagne (laughs) and like it was a very cute moment where like I'm barely awake but I'm gonna open the door and receive this joy and like have a Mm. moment of just like let's be joyful together she poured me some champagne and we screamed and then I drank the champagne in bed with my partner. <laughs> like, it was very, like, I'm not fully ready to hit the day, but I'm glad about this moment where I am being forced to take joy in what's going on. And so I appreciate my friend for offering that, and I appreciate um, <laughs> the world for giving me that. Yeah. So, like, mm-hmm. yeah. What about you? Um, I mean, for me, I'm trying to think of, like, what have I been doing lately? Like, one has been just, like, moving my body like Mm. i i got a cycling bike and that has been helpful to know like okay only three times a week is all you need to do so it doesn't have that (laughs) pressure of like oh honey i gotta work out today but like really needing to move my body a lot more and really thinking about like the winter time where i'm probably going to be less likely to do it i'm like let me get it in now uh but most in chicago for sure (laughs) oh yeah did you go full peloton no, no, okay. <laughs> I got an Amazon, like, <laughs> mm, I don't even know the name of it. Love her, yeah. <laughs> yeah, uh, she came but from like, China somewhere. <laughs> probably, but hey, it's holding up. It's yes. holding up for now. <laughs> but like, I, I think ultimately just like reminding myself to get outside and to breathe mm. and to not make it so quick. Like, it's usually like, let the dog out and don't step outside. But now, like, I've really, really needed to soak in this warmer weather in chicago we had like 70s the last couple of days which oh yeah in november is not yeah. never heard of so in yeah times. uh basically just reconnecting with nature and being outside and letting my dog just run a little crazy 
what i didn't know you were a dog dad yeah what kind of dog do you have yeah um he is a pit bull mix i think he's mixed with sharpay yeah um Mm -hmm. that's gay i love it (laughs) (laughs) also when shawnee when you kept saying fit earlier i thought you were talking about like bj being fit like earlier when you were like looking for therapists and you were like you know like the fit and i was like he is fit <laughs> like, yes with, listeners always find a fit therapist yeah I was, well, that's what i thought you were saying at first and i was like i don't know if i want to co-sign but it's fine <laughs> they're like why didn't you choose that therapist is like ah, oh, just really wasn't they the were fit, fit I was as fuck it wasn't the fit i was looking for like oh not a good match no literally like they weren't fit <laughs> <laughs> oh. Oh, um uh, my meds this week are i mean obviously this this election i'm it, i'm happy with how everything went down at the end of the day um but specifically kamala's speech yesterday was great i'm happy i'm also really happy that they gave her that space and time and it felt like a really solid equal split of time between um Kamala and then Joe Biden versus it just being like Joe Biden talking about him winning in XYZ. So I thought that was nice. That made me really happy. And then I mean whatever. Joe Biden like made a point to specifically shout out African Americans and as pandering as it might be, whatever. It still made me feel good and I like screamed and was like, you damn right. (laughs) (laughs) You better thank us. So Mm -hmm. that made me really happy. Um yeah. I love that. Do we have homework this week, Ed? We do. Your homework is to go check out VJ's podcast. Yes. Ooh. Do you have an episode that we should recommend to start? Um, no, I actually am starting recording for season two coming up uh, probably soon. Um, so, I mean, there are 10, I call them sessions, I believe. Yes. <laughs> I can't nice. even remember. It's you been, did. I, I, had I, a I caught that. Me. I loved that. <laughs> Like, welcome um, to your first session. I was like, in. I'm in. <laughs> yeah, I think it's 10 sessions that are already up there um, and expect something new beginning of the year. Love and you. that's Black People Go to Therapy too. Mm-hmm. Cool. <laughs> well, thank you for being here. Um, good luck trying to survive this 5 p.m. <laughs> night that we are like experiencing, <laughs> you know? Um, I hope the um, the workout bike is, you know gonna keep you together too because <laughs> <laughs> chicago winters be long as hell oh my god portland too we got it yeah. though we got it I listen know. to our last episode about seasonal affective disorder <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. oh my god okay bye friend thank you for coming thank you thank you so much <laughs> oh, what a gem bj was just the sweetest i just feel like we got a little gift i know honestly i he needs to come back like once a month yeah well bookmark you know it'll happen honestly he should just replace us it's fine yeah QBT. this is now bj's podcast <laughs> qbt with bj <laughs> that's just what it is now exactly <laughs> um you can follow us on instagram and twitter at qbt pod thank you to marquis and shanti darling for letting us use their music and big thanks to ali kilts for helping us with editing and we're out babes yeah sunday done bye 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 Trying to talk slick all up in my ear and shit. <laughs> <laughs>